feel my urge to kill rising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely feeling the same thing. <laughs> so the movie we're doing is uh, is the 2001 Ben Stiller film Zoolander. Um, so should we should we just jump right on in? Yeah, let's jump right okay. on in. Um, get this show on the road. Sorry? Um, get the show on the road. Let's get the show on the road. When did you watch the film last? Uh, earlier this week. I can't remember what day. <laughs> but it's a, it's a comedy film. It's a big budget comedy film. Um, released in 2001. Uh, it's almost 20 years ago. I can't believe it. Yeah, I know. It's like, it actually... I had it more in my head as like 2005 or something like that. Yeah. But no, I mean, 2001 to me, I mean, the difference between 2001 and 2005 seems like huge because I was pretty young when that happened. Yeah. Well, you know, the ages of five to 10 are pretty significant jump. Yeah, exactly. Um, the film is directed by Mr. Ben Stiller. Um, what's, how do you feel about Ben Stiller? I like Ben Stiller. Um, I think he's, uh, he's good. Uh, I mean, obviously not everything he's done, I'm like a big fan of, like a lot of his stuff is very middle of the road, but like, I think there's a couple of things that he's done, which I really, really like. I was, I was obsessed. I know this is not at all a defining role of his, um, but... I was obsessed with, like, the first night in the museum. Oh, no, I actually think that that the first one is a really good movie. Yeah, and that... Owen Wilson's in that as well, right? Yeah, he he is. He's a cowboy. What is he? The cowboy, right? Yeah, he's the cowboy, and then Rami Malik is the... the, uh, um, Pharaoh or King Tut or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then, yeah, that movie's also got Robin Williams in it as a... As a... uh, As Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah, Teddy yeah. Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, we're getting sidetracked. That's a Night at the Museum. Excellent film. Yeah, Excellent and we'll film. also talk more about U.S. presidents later. <laughs> Multiple <laughs> different ones. Yeah. yeah well. All right. So uh, what's this movie about? Like, I think we should uh, go over that for a minute. Yeah, yeah, it's true. We're uh, we're skipping that major, <laughs> yeah, major detail. Yeah. In case you haven't I mean, seen this Zoolander. this is major spoilers. Oh, so yeah. If, 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 if you don't want Zoolander to be spoiled to you and i mean i don't think you'd really lose much by knowing the plot at this point it's the theme of the podcast that we're gonna be spoiling yeah whatever movie we're talking don't about, watch so. this don't listen to those podcasts if you don't want spoilers yeah it's uh basically it's about derek zoolander uh world famous male model who uh who gets brainwashed by a international cabal of fashion designers to uh, to murder the Malaysian prime minister. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I don't know how many times I watched the film before I really picked up on the main plot of it like that. It's not really you know? that important. Like, No, it's one of those films that is like clearly sketched sketch based. Yeah. At least it feels like, in my opinion, it feels like it's, it's a sketch based kind of comedy. Yeah, so but I mean like... like I feel like the movie's more just about like um, uh, Derek Zoolander and his his rivalry with uh, with Hansel. I feel like that's more what you see in the movie. It's about about them being rivals and then later becoming friends. Yeah, that's that's the emotional arc for sure. Is the the their their journey from from exactly, rivals yeah. to to best pals. Ah, I can't stand Hansel. I know, right? Riding in on that scooter like he's so cool. And the way Hansel combs his hair. Or like, does him. 
It's like, excuse me, but have you ever heard of styling gel? <laughs> I'm sure Hansel's heard of styling gel. He's a male model. Well, Earth to Brent, I was making a joke. Uh, Earth to Mikis, duh, okay. I knew that. Earth to Brent, I'm not so sure you did, because you were all, well, I'm sure he's heard of styling gel. Like you didn't know it was a joke. <laughs> I knew it was a joke, Mikis. I just didn't get it right away. Earth to Brent, would you guys stop it already? Did you ever think that maybe there's more to life than being really, really, really ridiculously good looking? Yeah, let's 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 get to the uh, let's talk about uh, the background on this movie. Yeah. Um. So, its Paramount producer uh, is a guy named Scott Rudin. Okay. Who's a big Hollywood mogul type. Um, he's been described as. Uh, the biggest asshole in Hollywood. Yeah, I believe it. Um, I've heard some things about him, but yeah. (laughs) After looking into him, it's pretty clear that that's not an unfounded claim. Right, so I suppose he took up Don Simpson's mantle? Kind of. But I feel like he's... The difference, major difference between him and Don Simpson is is that he got shit done. Right, whereas Jerry Bruckheimer did all of Don Simpson's work. Yeah, I mean, like, like, like Scott Rudin is known for like you know making more phone calls than people make in a day before six a.m. Oh, you know, okay, that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. He's like he's he's a workaholic. Right. I, I didn't at any point read anything about like drug abuse or anything like that. Who knows um, what his deal with that is? But um, yeah, he's he's one of the few people who have uh, achieved the egot um are you familiar with the egot oh, yeah I'm, I'm familiar uh i mean can you, exp- can you explain it to us yeah so the egot is is i believe when you've won a uh a an emmy an oscar a grammy and a tony sorry emmy grammy oscar tony because it's egot right yeah yeah that's the yeah, that, yeah and so there's very few people who did that uh the only person who comes to mind i think is mel brooks yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I can't. Barbara Streisand, I think, is folks. close, but not. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg. Does she have one? Oh, she might. She might. I think Whoopi Goldberg might have one, or have four, I suppose, because you need four. Um, can you egot multiple times? You think? Like, if you get two of each, is that considered two egots? Um, I mean, nobody's ever got that, so nobody's had to find out. So Scott Rudin has an egot. Yeah. Whoopi Goldberg has an egot. Nice. Mel Brooks. Yeah. Uh, Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber. Okay. Uh, John Legend. Uh, why does he go? Really? On? I don't know. Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, Robert Lopez. Uh, Jonathan Tunick. Uh, most of these guys are composers. Right. I would imagine. Uh, like Audrey Hepburn. Musicians. Audrey Hepburn had one. Anyway, so um, now that we've got the egots out of the way, let's get back to. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Scott Rudin, he entered the industry at uh, 16 years old. He worked as a theater production assistant, um, and he 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 worked his way up the ranks. I think at one point he even owned his own casting company. Um, but like he was a when I say workaholic, I think that's an understatement. He started you know 16 years old. By the time he was 28, this guy was the president of production at 20 20th really? century. Really? Pre- wow. Yeah, that's um. Over his career, he's done like he's you know, a bunch of different types of movies. He's done actually a lot of Wes Anderson 
movies. Not all of them, but, you know, a few of them. Right. We have another frequent Wes Anderson collaborator in this movie who we will get to. <laughs> we do. We do. Uh, Mr. Owen Wilson. Yeah. Actually, is um, uh, is Scott Rudin by any chance from Texas? He was born in New York. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. Um, makes sense. He was he, working at, as a theater, theater production, production assistant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, I think I really can't state enough how hateful this guy yeah. is in terms of like how, how people described working. Well, yeah, for you him. were showing me a list uh, of, of of what a bunch of people had to say about uh, Scott Rudin, like ten different people, and they all basically universally said like this guy was a fucking huge pain in the ass. Yeah, and it's it's hilarious because they're like all people who are still kind of in in the industry, so they're like trying to be diplomatic. Yeah, about so the, it, but yeah, it yeah, they definitely so survived it, and like this is their toned down version of like how bad this guy is. Yeah, like one of the one of the people who worked for him during the Zoolander era, he said, "Is um, a quote." He said, "There was a joke that there's an alcoholic anonymous like recovery system for ex employees, but I haven't ever found it." <laughs> um, I'm just like, yeah. Uh, this is the same guy who also said that uh, um, Scott Rudin's trailer caught fire while they were filming Zoolander. Yeah. Which sounds like a fun story, but unfortunately, I couldn't really couldn't, couldn't really find the information else. about that. So it's just a tease. Was it sorry. arson? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's been swept under the rug. Exactly. Um. Yeah. Another thing. Uh, one of the 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 ones that stood out to me the most was one of the employees. Um, he, one of the, the, the interviewer asked what his big, biggest accomplishment was working under Scott Rudin. And his response was again, a quote, he said, I never cried on the job or got called stupid. Um, which is pretty That's, low bar for yeah. an accomplishment. <laughs> I can only imagine what working with this guy would have been like. It sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah. I mean, he's the kind of guy like... He's had such a big impact on Hollywood that he's kind of celebrated when I'm not really sure he should be. And I kind of wanted to ask your opinion about, about this sort of thing. Okay, yeah. Is like, like, I feel like people like him are celebrated as being like pillars of the industry. Right. But his his output seems more negative. Like, I feel like if he just wasn't around and like wasn't, there just wasn't this toxic energy around, yeah. maybe... So you're saying like, you think these good movies were made despite of him rather rather than because? Yeah, exactly. Like, I think maybe he was good at getting movies made and therefore making the production company money. But yeah. I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's, like, all that important in a... Yeah, in a, well, I mean, I don't know. My take on this would be, like... Uh, so, I mean, like, with Wes Anderson, for example. Like, I mean, Wes Anderson is, like, known as, like, a pretty auteur director. Like... I imagine Wes Anderson makes a movie for any producer. It's going to be good, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's, it seems kind of odd that we would like laud the producer for like, you know, basically obtaining some money so that a, a director can make his yeah. movie or their movie. Yeah. Basically it's like, there's definitely a sharp divide when it comes to, um, the type of producer, um, that's involved creatively and the type of producer that is uh, uh, just kind of more uh, the the on the business side of things. 
Yeah, and so naturally, a producer that's in like this kind of high position of power is gonna get a lot of like big movies made through them. But I think that that's just kind of a, a symptom of the way the industry works, right? Yeah, it's kind of and it's it's kind of misleading to attribute those films to them. Exactly. Yeah. In a lot of ways, um, and I think Zoolander is definitely one of those cases. Like, um, I don't really think he was really M- mentioned much at the, all, yeah. creatively involved. Like he was on set, I suppose, because he had a trailer that that caught, that caught fire. fire. But... Well, maybe that was that was them telling him that uh, we don't want you around. <laughs> you know, it yeah, was definitely get out of here. I just wanted to to briefly t- to talk about him. He's not like he's not really that important, so we can we can move on from him pretty right. much immediately. Sorry, um, and uh, move on from him pretty much immediately, and um, and start talking about some actually actually relevant people. Relevant, yeah, creatively. Okay. Um, so why don't we start with Mr. Ben Stiller? Ah, Big Ben, Big Ben. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. I don't think I've anybody calls him that. that. I don't think anybody's ever called him that until me right now. Um, so, so um, I mean, I'm pretty sure most people listening to this podcast know who Ben Stiller is, but like, yeah, you know, I, I think his background is like more interesting than you might think. As you may or may not know, as one may or may not know, uh, his parents are the famous comedy duo um, of Jerry Stiller and Anne uh, Mira. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine most people probably know of Jerry Stiller through Seinfeld. Yeah, Jerry Stiller is definitely probably more of a, a household name. Because yeah, he, had, he um, had more of a resurgence in his comedy career. Exactly. So, they were sort of a, a thing in... Uh, and Mira and uh, Stiller were kind of a thing in the 60s, right? Yeah, they were like they were a comedy duo. They they basically made like the talk show circuit. They but they were like super regular on on Ed Sullivan. I don't know if you watched the uh, the clip I, I, I did. Yeah, I did watch some of the sketches. And there 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 are moments that are pretty, pretty funny. funny. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. it's 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 hard to watch uh, a comedy that's so dated. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's also for such a mainstream audience like the Ed Sullivan Show. Um, it's, it, there's not really a lot of reference points, but it, you know, yeah. I can, you can see that there's talent and it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they released a couple of records. They were never like, like huge, huge. Um, like I think their careers kind of started petering out until Jerry Stiller did Seinfeld and then he kind of went on the upswing after that. Yeah. And then both of them appeared in several Ben Stiller movies as well. Yeah. Well, um, and yeah, on the Ben Stiller them, show, right? Yeah. They're, they, they, frequently collaborated um yeah, yeah. Uh, well as we know jerry stiller was in zoolander uh, jerry stiller we, is in zoolander as he's maury, maury ballstein maury ballstein we were kind of talking about this the other day yeah. um just how like comedy like movies especially big budget ones even if they're like really smart and really really funny and clever they yeah. do also kind of have to to uh, well they're all gonna have dick jokes in them yeah, they have to, they have to, I mean, this is not the most delicate way of... Yeah, you have to conform to the laws of common denominator. Exactly. Not the most delicate way of putting it, because there's nothing wrong with, with preferring that kind of humor. Um, I mean, you know, a well-placed dick joke can be funny, I suppose. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of at a loss for a good example, but, you know, it's there's, there is one, I'm sure. Um, um, I mean, I can think of examples in Spinal Tap. Uh, oh, yeah, that's it hilarious. Would, it would lick my love pump. No, oh yeah, that's not even what I was thinking of. There you but go. Also, but also, also the bit with the thing. But I mean, that I think that that the reason why that joke works is because it's satire about the uh, 
about the individuals. Yeah, it's true. So not not only is the joke that, like, that's a dick joke, but it's also a joke that this is the joke that they came up with. Like, that's a a more of a layered dick joke than it is just a straight up. Yeah, you know, you gotta have layers on the dick. (laughs) 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 To to make sure it's, it's, it's optimal. Being, like... Um, in showbiz in like the late 50s and the 60s seems like a like a nightmare like mainstream showbiz oh yeah because yeah because it 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 absorbs your life yeah Um, i mean i think it did after the 60s too but yeah yeah no totally totally but it was the kind of thing where it's like like um for jerry stiller and, and and mira especially like they you know you 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 don't say no to to a job ever no and yeah. you're, you, you, so you're kind of, you have to, and if you say no, the phone might not ring next time. Exactly. Which I remember yeah. if you've watched, if you've watched the, the, uh, not a great movie, but there's some good information in it, uh, a movie called The Wrecking Crew about I, the, uh, I haven't actually. Yeah. Well, it's about musicians anyway, right? That's, that's, it's irrelevant. It's a similar kind of thing because it's a similar time period. Right. They were talking about, it, it's like, you know, you know, like you, you answer the phone you might be working like you have a job every day of the week but you answer the phone and say yes every time or else they don't call you next time exactly yeah so i mean as a result a lot of ben stiller's childhood was spent um with his uh, nanny it was also spent doing something else which we'll get into later <laughs> i mean yeah we can we could maybe bri- briefly talk about it but <laughs> No, no, we'll, we'll save it for later. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll, uh, I was reading a just funny little anecdote. Apparently, um, uh, Rodney Dangerfield would come over to their house sometimes. He spent Thanksgiving at their house, and they would yeah. go to his, his, his house. Imagine being a kid around Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I would probably think he's hilarious, but, like, it would also oh, be... Probably. He probably would be hilarious, but I don't know. It's that would be strange for sure. <laughs> yeah, it'd be surreal. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know if Ben Stiller saw it that way though. No, probably because he probably yeah. like, oh, this is this is Rodney. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of that's another thing that kind of uh, is an interesting thing about kind of Ben Stiller as a, in his career uh, is that he's kind of got this inside outside perspective. Yeah, that is definitely. Like, he never really quite was like they were never like super rich and famous but he was like no, on the inside but they knew everyone exactly so he's got this kind of weird like he's still just kind of a normal kid yeah but he's also you know hanging like spending thanksgiving with roddy dangerfield yeah exactly which i mean that's kind of the nature of his set that his satire takes on i suppose that perspective yeah yeah i would say so i mean uh I, I see that like in the uh, in, in the Ben Stiller show, um, which oh uh, yeah, which, definitely. Like it, it it's constantly kind of just like uh, making fun of the fact that like Ben Stiller, at least at the time that he was doing that, was like you know not a very like famous famous person, or like he <laughs> keeps getting one upped by other people. Like uh, I think that was a good show. I mean, we'll, we'll, I actually yeah, I watched we'll, some episodes of it. I'm uh, we'll while doing the research for this, and it, like I, I I think I'm definitely have to go back after this uh, after this is over and watch more of it because I thought some of the sketches were golden. Uh, but yeah, leading up to to the Ben Stiller show, he kind of got his like, and I, I this is not really his big break, but it was kind of like a break when he got a, a, a job on a Broadway performance. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm blanking on its name. What was it called? It's like the Blue Leaves or something like that. House of the Blue House of Blue House, Leaves. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, a Come Broadway on, Keaton, you gotta get you gotta have your notes open, man. I, what, uh... <laughs> I thought I could remember. I thought I could remember. <laughs> thought you could wear um, it. Yeah. Uh, no, the House of the Blue Leaves. <laughs> um, so this kind of gave him, you know, the ability to uh, 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 work on a, a short film. Um, that was his first uh, work of parody and satire. Um, he co-produced, co-wrote, and starred in a short film called The Hustler of Money, which, uh, as you might be able to infer, is a satire uh, based off of The Color of Money. Um, <laughs> both his parents were in it. <laughs> yeah, but both of them were in it. Um, I, 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 th- I watched this, and I thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. Like, most of... Uh, like, so Ben Stiller basically... They basically do a fake trailer for this movie called The Hustler of Money, which is based on the uh, the color of money. But they do it as, like, like Ben Stiller plays Tom Cruise. Yeah. So and, I, I mean, a lot important... of the comedy of this is derived from just how accurately, I think, uh, Ben Stiller <laughs> portrays Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think, like, just I the think... expressions he does on his face are so perfect. <laughs> Yeah. It's like his, really his expressions are, gr- are good. That's where a lot of his comedy is. It's his expressions, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was pretty funny. And then there's uh, there's some jokes about Paul Newman as well. They have the salad dressing on, on the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like it's bowling instead of pool. Yeah, it's bowling. Instead of pool. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. And that like shot at the beginning when they have the the bowling ball breaking the breaking the uh uh i don't know what you call it when, when you're playing pool and you have all the all the balls in the triangle uh what's that called uh, somebody break, who plays pool would know that you break the what what are you breaking when you well, break? i don't know you usually just say like let's break or something like that yeah i know i know but i'm trying to yeah. like what is it that you're anyway i don't know this <laughs> it's is a, a shot where it get, get like a yeah. bowling ball rolls in anyway it's hilarious you should if watch any it. of your it's, if it's any of YouTube. you listeners know what that's called please please uh let us know yeah let us know um <laughs> podcast at jake <laughs> um so after he 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 made this short film uh somehow snl got whiff of it and they enjoyed it, so they ran it um, mm. in 1987. So they they played that bit on SNL. Yeah, it was on the show. The, the okay, yeah. the um the short short film. Right. Um. So. So he he worked for a very short period on SNL, right? Yeah, I think right after that he worked for like what f- I think four episodes, five weeks. Right. He, he was a cast member and a writer. Okay. Um, but he left because he said he essentially he was like stifled. Um, right. Like so he, he wanted he really to do wanted more to, like directorial stuff, maybe. I think so. I think he wanted he wanted to do just more of the satire, like the short films, like the right. color of money. Like I think that I think he just kind of didn't fit in because I think to SNL be an, an SNL writer, you just have to be. A, yeah. Just, I mean, there's a lot of people who's who've kind of like passed through SNL on their on their journey. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I don't think he was ever destined to 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 be be long on SNL. I don't know that his comedy no. is quite. Although there's definitely some people from SNL that later went on to be in films with him. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of overlap in the yeah. community. <laughs> well, Will Ferrell. Um, yeah, exactly. Do we, do we want to talk about the frat pack? 
enlighten us with the off off the cuff your off the cuff knowledge okay uh well so the frat pack is basically i mean obviously it's a uh it's a pun on both the rat pack and the brat pack uh which is yeah uh, basically it's a group of people who made a, a lot of movies together uh will ferrell's definitely in this uh scene i would say i put yeah, Will Wilson. Ferrell, Vince oh, Vaughn, Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn, Vince Vaughn, for sure. Uh, um, ben Stiller, obviously. Ben Stiller. Owen um, Wilson. <laughs> um, who else? Yeah, and I have, I've heard Jack Black used in it yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I could put him mentioned. in there. Yeah. Um, there's more, you know, all those people. That kind of like, you know, late 90s to mid 2000s comedy people. Yeah, so I would say if they're in the movie Anchorman, they're probably part of the <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, uh, I, I can't let this go, uh, but uh, there's this this uh, this pilot that, uh, that that Ben Stiller did, like, just prior to doing Zoolander, uh, and it never got made, like, it never got into a show, but it was called Heat Vision and Jack. What? Did you read up on this at all? No, I've never heard of this. It just sounds like the greatest thing ever. I mean, I actually watched the pilot and it was pretty funny. But what basically, is it? it's it's a it's a show starring um, Jack Black and Owen Wilson. Uh, already, I'm kind of sold. Like that's a that's a great cat. But no, what's the what's the what's the premise? Uh, where Owen Wilson plays a sentient motorcycle. Oh no, that yeah. is that is unreal. <laughs> And um, and, okay, and wait, Jack, hold on. he like he voices. Uh, yeah, he voices a, the motorcycle. So like Knight Rider. Yeah, but it's called Heat Vision. It's kind of like Knight Rider, but it's it's so he was like, okay, so Jack Black <laughs> plays an astronaut who, in some kind of like astronaut accident, uh, became like the smartest person of all time. Is that like Mister Fantastic? Kind of, but so he has this ability to become really, really smart. I can't remember what is the thing that triggers this. I haven't okay. seen the pilot in a long time, but okay. uh, but basically, uh, he he every once in a while he he's like the Hulk, but instead of becoming like, super angry, he becomes super smart. <laughs> That's kind of funny. That's a I don't know how far you can go with that, but uh, well, they only did I'm one intrigued. episode, and then it never got picked yeah. up. But it was funny. Uh, but and then so his. Um, I think through this same accident or something, his roommate got turned into a motorcycle. <laughs> and, and so he basically, and so he's being chased down across the country by NASA, who wants to like capture him and like figure out why he's super smart or something like that. And he's basically he travels America on this motorcycle, this this sentient motorcycle, and like fucking helps people it's like the hulk that's really bizarre also it's I feel like, like it's I like the hulk show from the 70s the, i would have cast it like the other way around don't you think what the, the astronaut like is Owen Wilson's Wilson an astronaut and jack black and, is the bike yeah jack black <laughs> makes a way better motorcycle i think don't you think i don't know it, it, yeah, maybe it you could do it either way can you just imagine like him like being like oh man look i'm a motorcycle and then just like making motorcycle sound effects going like, do, yeah do, 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 but i mean you know? owen wilson does the same thing it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's so bizarre. yeah if you if you have some time on your hands just check that out it's worth a watch it's called heat vision and jack 1999 
darn shame it wasn't picked up. So what did Ben Stiller do on this? What he wrote, he wrote it, and he directed it, I think. Oh, really? And he appears in the intro to, like, be like, this is my new show, Heat Vision and Jack. I'm Ben Stiller, Emmy-winning Ben Stiller. It was, it was silly. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I really wish that got picked up, but, you know, it didn't. So, okay, moving on. Drake uh, yeah. Sather. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, talk about, let's talk about Drake Sather. Um, so Drake Sather wrote this movie with Ben Stiller, right? He wrote this movie with Ben Stiller. He created the character of Derek Zoolander. Okay. Um, if you don't know this, the character of Derek Zoolander was not created for the film. He was created a few years earlier in 1996 um, for the VH1 Fashion Awards. Yes, um, which is why I assume VH1 had something to do with this movie. Yeah, exactly. Presumably for intellectual property reasons. Yeah, they owned the character, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they say there was was hired to write write some um, some some sketches for the for the awards, and he came up with the idea for Derek Zoolander. He named the character, and he uh, called up Ben Stiller and was like, "Hey, you should you should be this this male model <laughs> character." And the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> yeah, so they did like two uh, two uh, sketches. Even. Yeah, well, they got they the first one was hilarious. I, I don't know if you watched it. Um, they're both I watched, hilarious. Yeah, I watched both of them, and they're super referential to the film. Like there's you could, there's so many. It's like shocking in like a total of ten minutes. They almost yeah they have... they hit a lot of the bases that the film explores. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was so successful in 1996. They did it again in 1997. That one was funny too. <laughs> yeah, but he's got he's in the second one. He's got like a goatee for some reason. I think Ben Stiller was doing a role with a goatee. So Zoolander, Zoolander. If you want to see uh, Derek Zoolander with a goatee, yeah, you it's can, pretty good. You can check that out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, what do you just mean? Little... <laughs> just <laughs> of course I'm a model. <laughs> I'm so good looking. Of course, I'm a model. <laughs> really, really, incredibly, really good looking. You know, people see me. They come up to me. They're like, you know, you should be a model. Or you should, you know, you should be a a man who models. And I say, like, you know, that's so silly. I'm so good looking. Of course, I'm a model. <laughs> so ridiculously good looking. <laughs> How many aboriginals do you see modeling? <laughs> Um, uh, anyway. So yeah, let's go into a little bit of background for uh, Drake Sather. Yeah, I, I always want to say Derek Sather. But yeah, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's very. He couldn't be more different. No, very than different. The yeah. character that he created. Um, he's uh Derek Drake Derek Sather again. Um, Drake yeah. Sather. Before anything, he started as like a stand-up comedian, basically, um, performing like sporadically um he appeared on letterman a few times like three times i think in the late 80s and yeah there's not there's not really very much um, i i saw one of the letterman ones and yeah there was some pretty funny material there yeah i mean like it's it's hard to judge really because it's like there's clearly like he's clearly funny and 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 witty i mean the jokes that were on letterman because it was like such a tight set because it's letterman obviously um yeah uh, and you know the bits he did don't ama- age amazingly well. 
but no, not not. Um, you got like a good idea for you know he's got a dark, dry sense of humor, and it's yeah. like very kind of stark jokes. Yeah. Um, where he like says like kind of unexpected dark things is kind of what how I would classify it. When I first uh, when I was watching the Letterman um, appearance. The first thing I noticed, I don't, you may or may not agree with me. I don't see how you could disagree with me. But the first thing I noticed is that he's outrageously good looking. Well, I mean, uh-huh. I would say he's not as ridiculously good looking as, you know, our boy Ben Stiller, who uh, who, who is clearly. He had are you, to just, be are you he saying that but... as like as a, as, a, as a bit? Is that a, is a joke? Yeah, it's a bit because he's 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 ridiculously good looking. <laughs> I know, I that. That's why I figured it was a joke. But I'm so here's the thing. I'm so dedicated to how good looking Drake Sather is. I'm plowing through your bit. Okay, fucking nose down. He looks <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, it's fine. Um, the other thing I noticed about him, and uh, maybe you agree, um, is that like his voice and his performance style and manner mannerisms, um, and even to an extent a bit like. Uh, his looks he, uh, are very um, Norm McDonaldy. I could definitely see that, yeah. Like just kind of that, like, <laughs> dry kind of like way he delivers a joke. Like, yeah, and then, uh, uh, you know? And it just uh, his voice at first, I was like, wait, am I watching a Norm am McDonald? I, yeah, am I watching some Norm McDonald? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could definitely confuse the two if you told me that was Norm McDonald. Yeah, no, exactly. But and you see, as it, as it turns out, they were um, they were roommates for a while. They um, roommates. Yeah, they were friends and roommates um, in that c- kind of time period, and they like apparently they attended writing classes together. Oh, really? So, so yeah. they might have rubbed off on each other. Yeah, exactly. They definitely would have rubbed off on each other, and they worked together actually as well, like writing on TV. Like they both, their first. Um, I, it wasn't. It was Norm Macdonald's second TV writing gig, but it was a uh, uh, Drake Sather's first writing gig is they wrote for a very short-lived um show called the dennis miller show um, okay. which is just like you know another talk show one you know the, you know how they tried a million of those out um right. just giving random people their own talk show and seeing if it would stick like everyone had one like chevy chase had one Did um, he? yeah jesus christ i didn't so. even know that but okay um that they, sounds like it would be bad yeah i wouldn't i don't i can't see it being good um, but anyway, yeah, they both would also write for SNL. Um, right. Norm Macdonald, I don't know if you know, has a rocky kind of history with SNL. Um, yeah, I, I know a little bit. That's that's not relevant here. Um, I mean, I feel like most people would have a rocky history with Norm Macdonald. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, Drake Saylor was also wasn't at SNL for too long. Um, he kind of... Right. He so also... It, it did, was he there at the same time as Ben Stiller by any chance? No, no, they were both there okay. after. Ben Stiller was there okay. in the like late eighties. Um, okay, I don't exactly remember, but because yeah, the color uh, or the hustler of money was nineteen eighty seven, and it was just okay. after that that Ben Stiller was, um, uh, worked there, and then and then yeah, there, uh, Norm Macdonald and and Drake Sather were there in the early nineties. Oh, okay, like ninety three, yeah, yeah. ninety two, something like that. Okay. Um, yeah, I noticed, speaking of the, of the nineties, I noticed like, uh, when I was looking up Drake Sather, there was like tons of these, you know, those like 1001 jokes to tell at parties books. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I do. That are like always around. (laughs) Um, he, he, some of them were, 
Yeah, continue. He he appeared in in a, in a number of those. He was referenced a lot. So I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. Like he got his jokes. Like he got he, he you know he put his jokes in these books. Um, but I was disappointed because I only found two jokes out of like yeah. You know, there's like 15 of these books that I I, I you, you looked through 15 joke books for Drake's say themselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was on a um um archive.org excellent resource archive.org. oh okay right, right. um and i was just like kind of scrolling scanning through them but yeah there's just this one one joke that they repeated pretty much every time and then there was one other joke but they're they're a very, of a very similar theme do you want to do you want to read the jokes no what oh yeah yeah so okay uh so the one of them is uh I mean, all the, these sound almost like Rodney Dangerfield jokes. They to do. Be they do. They really yeah, do. Like, the, this first they, one that you're about to read. This... I, I almost can't not read it in a Rodney Dangerfield voice. I think you should read it in a Rodney. You should. Yeah. That's <laughs> My wife thinks I'm too nosy. At least that's what she keeps struggling in her diary. <laughs> <laughs> See, when you put it that way, it sounds kind of funny. But he, yeah, he delivers yeah. it. He delivers it way but more. But he might say it something more like, you know, my wife thinks I'm too nosy. You know, that's what she scribbles in her diary, at least. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's the one. That's the joke that the 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 authors of the joke books of the '90s loved. That joke. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it 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 it's pretty classic. Yeah, it's it holds up, I suppose. You yeah. Know? There's that. The, my wife jokes cannot can. Well, you know, no, but it's also like self-deprecating in a way. It's like, yeah. uh, it's like, uh, oh, you know. My wife thinks I'm nosy, you know, <laughs> that I'm reading her diaries, right? <laughs> yeah, and do you want to read the next one as well? Um, what? Uh, my wife says I never listen. At least that's what I think she said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's right. essentially the same joke. Yeah, it's basically the same joke. Um, yeah, but this this really reminds me of, like, a Rodney Dangerfield bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it's... it's uh, that's a pretty good example of how I'd say Drake Sather's comedy is, uh, yeah. is like. His stand-up, yeah, basically that's, it's just a series of one-liners, basically, that all have a similar kind of kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah, generally like somewhat self-deprecating kind of stuff. Yeah. So, also a show that he worked on, not briefly, I just thought I'd mention it, it's vaguely related. There's a, there's, there's a link, um, as he worked on the Larry Sanders show briefly. Okay. Do you know the Larry Sanders show? I actually don't. Um, it's a good show. You should watch it. You know Gary Shandling. I do know Gary Shandling, who's in this movie. So. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the... it's it, it aired at like a similar time to Seinfeld and was kind of like... They were contemporaries. Obviously, Seinfeld was way more successful. But um, yeah. the, the premise is like... It's like a, um, a parody of like um, a talk show. Um, oh, okay. But it was, like, one of the first shows to kind of use that, you know, like, the Office mockumentary format. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, so that basically brings us up to, we mentioned how the character of Zoolander was created. Um. So basically, after they did those two sketches, uh, Ben Stiller and and uh, Drake Sather, they were like, oh, this this would be a pretty good movie, actually. Like, this is a great character. We should try and make this into a movie, so... Um, they, they, Drake Sather wrote a script and then Ben Stiller says that, uh, he went over it and did a rewrite. 
Um, they mm-hmm. got another guy named John Hamburg who's done a lot of work in Hollywood. He did a rewrite, and apparently, you know, they just... Uh, we were talking about this before. This this is kind of how just it seems like a lot of movies are yeah, made. Yeah, you write a script, somebody takes a look at the script, they also like the script the movie gets made. Yeah, and, like, you have to <laughs> rewrite it a bunch of times until the studio's like, yeah, okay, we'll make that movie. And yeah, exactly. It. So it took them a few years, and eventually they, they secured uh, funding, and they, uh, they got to make their movie then they did and it was zoolander and then they had their sketches to begin with so i mean it actually kind of surprises me they, that the took... character was definitely like had had been captured at that point yeah and like the character in the sketches is almost exactly like yeah no it's like screen. there's they, they 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 didn't have to change a hell of a lot he was already pretty in fact out. he almost seems dumber in, in the in the movie than he does in the sketches <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i think he is a little bit um, a little dumber yeah so just before we move on and start talking about uh, uh, um, the the movie in more detail, I guess we should uh, uh, maybe address the fact that um, the reason that Drake Sather's such a kind of forgotten legend is um, tragically he killed himself in two thousand and four. Yeah, and, and you know people who who knew him and people who who worked with him said I think it was like Judd Apatow or something was saying like yeah it's a shame he died like uh, just before podcasts became a thing or like you know oh yeah because he definitely yeah, would he would have been like a big like uh, yeah because he was he would have really been good at that because yeah everyone in the industry knows who he is like all these comedians know who he is like uh, I'm sure Jerry Seinfeld knows who he is etc cetera, etc cetera, yeah. you know like. Um, so I'm sure he would have actually kind of become more mainstream uh, as yeah, time definitely. wore on. But uh, sadly, he, he, he did not. Yeah. Um, his, his wife at the time, they were, they were, they were getting divorced, but it's, it's since she's since gone on to um, be, she's become like a grief counselor, which I think is, is, is. Yeah. Yeah, good. I think it's cool that she managed because apparently, really dark uh, for warning. She was she, he was on on the line with her when he shot himself. Oh Jesus! Um, which is um, pretty rough thing. Yeah, I mean that's amazing that she definitely like came away from that and then decided to. Yeah, exactly. And I'm only talking about it right now is because she, after the fact, became really kind of vocal um, about about the her process and like you know and that she in the end was actually kind of happy she said she was happy because she um she was with him um right for his final moments which i guess mm-hmm. is a nice sentiment as nice as you can glean yeah i guess but anyway yeah i thought we'd just mention that you know rest in peace uh yes rest in peace taken uh, too Sather. early a uh, legendary comedic mind uh drake sather Absolute legend. Orange Mocha Frappuccino! <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Come on, man! Come on! You put the bug into my heart. You send my soul sky high when your love him starts. To the bug into my brain. Goes to bang, bang, bang. Tell me you do the same. But something's bugging me. Something ain't right. My best friend told me what to do. take a, a hard left turn here pardon the pun but <laughs> it's a good one thank you thank you uh, we're talking about that um 
there's a lot of sort of celebrity cameos in this movie, and I, I, I think it would just be interesting to, like, explore the depths of, like, of, of this. I mean, the first thing that, that jumped out at me, at least, was, was goddamn fucking Trump is in this movie. Yeah, that Like, was, I was taken aback. That was uh, an unfortunate... He's in, like, the first five minutes, too. Like, yeah, it's weird. he's in, the, like, the first scene, basically. It's very jarring. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that uh, he has ruined so many amazing films, such as Home yeah, Alone Home 2. Yeah, Home Alone 2. Like... <laughs> With his presence... <laughs> It's a damn shame. It's a damn shame. It's a damn shame. Yeah, 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 no, it's as you said, it's super jarring. Yeah, him and uh, uh, Melania, you know. I don't, yeah, I don't, Melania's in it too. So two Trumps. But I think it's interesting that she's in there because she's a model. Yeah, that's right. And the movie's about models. I suppose maybe that's why he's in it. Oh right, yeah, maybe. I wonder if that was actually some award show that they went into the audience. It wouldn't just be easier if they actually just filmed it at the actual award show. Like I'm sure some of, some of the shots were actually filmed um, um, at the actual awards, and then the more detailed ones weren't. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, although then they have the thing in the uh, in the actual award show. I mean, the inside of the award show is definitely fake, but somehow they have a, a hall filled with people. Yeah. And that's because I mean, like Fabio accepts the award for actor slash model, and not the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> I just detail. find it funny that like they actually have like male model Fabio in this movie, and he doesn't take issue at all with like the movie, yeah. like making fun of male yeah. models. That's hilarious. Yeah. Props to it, you, yeah, Fabio. Good, took it with good humor. Well done. Took it with good Especially humor. Because they were ripping on him as well in the, you know. Now we're gonna get to the, the yeah. They definitely rip on Fabio a little the bit. Real categories. Yeah. Uh, Natalie Portman's also in this movie. Shows up. Yeah, Natalie Portman. Um. Gary Shandling, as we mentioned. Gary Shandling is in it. Paris Hilton's in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's that guy? Like an obviously David Bowie. David Bowie is in it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, he well, he plays. He actually has lines. So that's. Uh, yeah. I honestly, I uh, I don't know that. Like, that scene is funny. Um. Yeah, it's really funny. It's, like. <laughs> but I don't know that they used David Bowie to his full potential. No, but I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know what else they would have done. No, I know. I don't have any better ideas. I was just like, I, you know. Like, they probably had, like, that scene, and they're like, oh, we need somebody to do this. And they're like, oh, let's, David Bowie's here. Let's get fucking David Bowie to do it, which is he's, awesome. He's, he's just I like, there. I like when he does ready stuff Ready to like do that. it. <laughs> <laughs> Who else we got? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, Billy Zane. Billy Zane, yeah. He, his cameo is great. Oh, there's a, um, I forget what, what the name of his character is, but uh, uh, the hand model. Yeah, well, I wouldn't necessarily say this is, like... Because, I mean, he doesn't play himself. He does play a character. Right. Anyway, we're talking about uh, about uh, actor David Duchovny. <laughs> oh, it was so exciting to see him in this. Like, do you want to explain the character that he's playing a little bit? So, <laughs> so David Duchovny essentially plays... Uh, well, he plays J.P. Pruitt, who who is a former hand model. <laughs> Who, who, who stumbled across the, the the conspiracy by this fashion cabal to to hire male models to murder people, and he's unwrapped. He, he's he's pulled the sweater apart. He's, <laughs> <laughs> pulled the sweater. He's, he's unraveled their scheme. Uh, so he essentially plays just fucking Fox Mulder from the X Files. 
but a hand model. Yeah, but a hand model version and with his little cryogenic chamber. <laughs> but it's it's just fucking great. It was brilliant casting. Yeah, it's an excellent casting choice. Um, actually, doesn't he doesn't Ben, uh, ben Stiller mention uh, David Duchovny in one of the um, the Zoolander promos for the for the VH1? He does. He does mention David Duchovny as like. Uh, well, okay, so actually, this is kind of brought up in this movie and in the thing where you have to ignore the uh, the, the, the the famous celebrity, the beautiful celebrities to the left and right of you. And, and, and in the in the short, he's like, right. you know, you got to go down the runway with blinders on, you know? It's <laughs> yeah, like, who's right. that? Who's that? Gary Shanley? David Duchovny? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I just fell over. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, he definitely had David and company on the brain before he did this movie. Yeah. So so he he he, he um the his character, JP Pruitt was his name, I think. Yeah. Yeah, JP Pruitt. Um he, his whole deal is that he um explains the evil conglomerate's plot to use uh male models as assassins right and he's yeah like, and he figured it out because you know the hand models are a different breed they don't think like the face and body guys yeah um <laughs> the, that that line where he like explains like why male models and then uh and then ben stiller Derek zoolander is like asks him again but but why male models but why male models <laughs> that was actually improvised apparently because ben stiller forgot his line sorry apparently that was improvised because ben stiller forgot his line oh really yeah and then david duchovny was just just rolled with it like i just told you that yeah <laughs> uh, i'm glad i'm glad um david duchovny and uh christine uh well, oh, jesus christ what's her name tay tay taylor christine taylor i'm glad they uh uh, they played cool with that. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't believe we we haven't even mentioned this yet. Is that Christine Taylor and Ben Stiller are newlyweds during this? Oh yeah, yeah. They're, the they they got movie. married shortly before this movie was made. Yeah, like two, like in two thousand, but like basically right before they started production, they got married. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. The whole the whole Ben Stiller uh, family is in this movie. Yeah, yeah. His mother's in it. She's the one who tosses the egg or throws the egg at Mugatu. <laughs> um obviously jerry stiller's in it and his sister appears briefly in uh, uh, uh hansel's like um as one of his whatever posse in hansel's uh, uh like warehouse oh okay i think she's part of the entourage yeah yeah um just back um, to david so we're, we're talking about the scene with david Duchovny. He, he he explains that um every major assassination in in united states history was carried out by a male model um yeah do you remember john wilkes booth male model male model um do you remember who he was supposed to kill who he was enlisted to kill and like this is why he figured out the whole scheme yeah i believe he was uh he was he uh he was set to kill my favorite president jimmy carter <laughs> no i didn't know he was your favorite president I, I don't know. I, I really don't have that. I mean, he seems fine. <laughs> That's a pretty dramatic decrease. He went from your favorite president to he seems fine in a sentence. I, I just needed a way to introduce Jimmy Carter. <laughs> I, I have no negative things to say about Jimmy Carter. Uh, he's he's a he's a fan of the same football team I am. Uh, oh, really? 
Yeah, he's an Atlanta Falcons fan, big fan. Oh, there you go. Um, well, uh, I think this brings us to our next segment. <laughs> This is a very special uh, episode, or very special edition of the truth. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so we have a truth that you know relates in some way to to the movie and David Duchovny <laughs> and Jimmy Carter, my favorite president. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So here it is. This is strap in, folks. Things are going to get clandestine things are going to get weird and things are going to get a little bit how should i put this um conspiratorial okay so there was an actual assassination attempt against jimmy carter well well let's talk about it or was there let's get into the details okay so i think there are probably there's two events that you could classify as assassination attempts okay the first was one, he shot at no at no point was a bullet fired at him but that's because okay. that's because of the good work of the of the secret service was able to put a stop stop to it i mean they uh when when reagan was in office they must have uh, lost those guys uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um because they they fucked up on that one i mean although he survived they so sure they... <laughs> did fuck up on that one um yeah so the first attempt on Jimmy Carter is this is this is the truly conspiratorial one. Um, okay. Because there's there's a lot of twists, there's a lot of turns, and sometimes okay. new things, shit comes to light, man, that changes shit comes to everything. Light. <laughs> so basically, I'll give you I'll give you the information bit by bit, as it does it involve the fashion industry? Uh, well, that we'll see. <laughs> We shall okay. see. That is perhaps where it gets a little bit conspiratorial. Right. Um, okay, go for it. So, the year is 1979. Jimmy Carter mm. um, is giving a series of speeches. Right. For his, it's in aid of his re-election campaign. Um, and as you know, he's, or as you may know, he's, he was running against Ronald did Reagan. Did not get reelected. No, he did not. And it was not looking good at this point. It was just like, did, I'm pretty sure it was pretty much, con, uh, assured that he would lose this election. Um, right. Okay. So he was in California giving, the, uh, he was supposed to give a, um, a, a speech at a civic center shortly, a few minutes before, um, Jimmy Carter was about to go on. Um, the Secret Service noticed a shifty-looking individual um, skulking around near the podium. Um, so they approached him, and as they approached him, he panicked and, and, and fled. Um, and they, uh, they caught him and arrested him, and he had a starter's pistol that was full of blank oh. shots. Blanks? Yes. So, you know, huh. um, it was kind of like written off as like... Uh, the. the the papers kind of reported it was like they didn't report it as an assassination attempt obviously because there was there was a blank but it was like kind of this like hiccup where people were like oh that's kind of weird but 
um the secret service was like oh it's just a crazy drunk you know there's no there was no threat it's about it's they said i think there's a quote he said it's about as nothing as it can get right jimmy carter said that no that was the secret service their statement on it okay yeah um right I mean, my question is, like, if it's pretty clear that Jimmy Carter is going to lose, why bother assassinating him at all? <laughs> Here's where it gets interesting, though. A few days later, after the, the attempt and after the initial reports, it was reported that the, um, the suspect was being held at a bail of $50,000 on charges of conspiring okay. to kill the president. Right. Um, huh. So it's not nothing. Well, yeah, if, if it was just nothing... Um, then what's what's the deal? Why are you, is he is he uh, on bail for fifty thousand dollars? So here's the next piece of information that that comes out. Um, what what happened was he was approached by this second guy, who was like, "We have this plot." The first guy was approached by a second guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And the second guy was like, "Hey, we've got this plot to kill the president. Come help us." Oh, so he was only a cog in, he in was the machine. A cog, exactly. Um, right. Because he was okay. initially, they they kind of wrote it off as like, oh, this is this guy's just some crazy homeless man. Like it's not a real thing. So right. Um, so the police pick up the second guy, who actually was uh, uh, using a different name than the one that the, that the first guy gave them, and this guy was arrested, right. and his bail was set at a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Okay. So do you want to know what the, th- With the implication being that this guy is the ringleader or something like that? Exactly. He's more important in this t- attempt. Okay. So now here's the third thing that comes out. The second guy okay. is saying that actually he's known this first guy for a long time, and they were both approached by these two secretive figures who involved right. them in this plot to kill the president and their job was they were going to go to the front of the podium and like fire off a bunch of blanks to like set to distract i assume from the actual while shot. these two guys um sort of like how it's implied that uh there may have been a second shooter in the kennedy assassination yeah exactly because obviously the real killers were not lee harvey oswald but male models um so both of them were just a distraction for the real would-be killers. Um, and what makes this so interesting is nobody was ever arrested. Apprehended? Apprehended. Um, but they did, like, on, like, a word from these two, the, this second guy, they, like, raided a, a motel room and found, like, a bunch of rifles and shit. Oh, shit. And that came out even even later. Wait, so, so this, was, this was... was an indoor event, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so they they couldn't have like aimed from the hotel room window and shot him. I don't think so. No. Okay. <laughs> um, but here's where it gets really conspiratorial. Okay. Guy number one was named Raymond Lee Harvey. Ooh. <laughs> and you know like the Lee second Harvey guy Oswald? was named okay, exactly what? like Lee Harvey Oswald. You know what the yeah. second guy's name was? What was his name? Osvaldo Oritz. <laughs> okay yeah um so these were the fake names that the two guys up front were no these are these are the two guys who were arrested those are their names yeah the two guys who were firing the blanks yeah okay are that that's the real name or that's the name they gave those are their real names oh so this goes deep then exactly that's this definitely a- not sony's fucking real 
Also, what kind of assassin are you that, like, <laughs> you would go through all this, like, um, this shit to come up with, like, a fake identity that's, like, real enough that they, that they, they found, like, records of it to find if this is the, like, quote-unquote real name, and you come up with a name like that? Like, of course they're fucking assassins. <laughs> okay. So that's the first attempt. Oh, there's another attempt. Well, the second one's not exactly an attempt. Okay. The second one... Well, um, they didn't actually fire anything in the first one, so I guess it's not really an attempt. No, but they were arrested on conspiratorial charges. Right, okay. And yeah. they, it never, um, they never really published what happened to them. Okay. Like, I don't know what... I couldn't find anything about what happened to the charges. I mean, they probably got sent to Guantanamo or something. <laughs> Yikes, probably. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's probably what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, continue. Yes, the second attempt. And it's funny, because you mentioned it. Um, it's the same man who made an attempt on Ronald Reagan. John Hinckley Jr.? Yeah. His initial no. target was, was Jimmy Carter. Okay, so did... I get... Did he... I guess he was like, oh, well, I got to kill a president. I mean, you know. Yeah. It yeah, because well, he... did... yeah, I don't know if you if you know a lot about John Hinckley Jr., but, like, his attempt to kill Reagan had nothing to do with, like, oh, I want to kill Ronald Reagan. No, it wasn't political at all. It wasn't politically motivated. It was motivated by Jodie Foster, strangely <laughs> yeah, enough. Yeah, he was just trying to imp- impress Jodie Foster. He watched Taxi Driver too Well, he wanted times. to be as historically significant as Jodie Foster. Yeah. I think that was how he worded it. Right. But, uh... Yeah, well, he... So he, he thought, oh, yeah, so the way to do that is I have to kill the president. Whoever yeah. that is. And it started with... it. Yeah, it started as... I mean, Jimmy Carter's <laughs> lucky that he didn't uh, win the election or else he might, he would have been shot. Yeah, he would have been shot. Um, yeah, because, yeah, John Hinckley Jr. was, like, stalking um, the movements of President Carter as he was campaigning. Yeah. Um, he would, like, stay at a hotel near the White House with, like, a revolver, just, like, you know, camping out. Yeah, from what I know, it, it, it took him several uh, several tries before he actually uh, build up was the... able to get a shot off on Reagan. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that, that there is some conspiratorial uh, aspects to this story. And I think it is a fair assumption to say that the male model industry could have been the perpetrators of that initial attempt. So is John Higley Jr. a male model? Maybe he is. Maybe he is. I mean, I'm looking at a photo of him right now. He doesn't look that great. <laughs> no, he, he doesn't really. He's not. doesn't strike me as model He's material. not ridiculously really, really good looking. No, he's not really, really... Really ridiculously, ridiculously good looking. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, who do you think was behind it? I mean, I know who I think was behind it. Who do you Who do you think was behind it? Magatu. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, you know that that brings us to the end of uh, the truth. Yep. I think it's pretty conclusive. I don't think I don't think there's any. Any question? Oh yeah, no, it. they did it. I mean, the male, the modeling industry did it. Yeah, absolutely. Wake me up before you go, go. Don't leave me hanging on like a yo-yo. Wake me up before you go, go. I don't wanna miss it when you hit that high.
came out uh had pretty unfortunate timing i would say i mean as if as if we did talk about american history enough in this, <laughs> on this episode yeah so this movie uh was released only weeks after 9-11 yeah september 28th 2001 so probably not the kind of climate you would you would want to put out a comedy in yeah kind of the worst possible climate not only that movie. is it's a movie that's set in New York. Yeah. And and had shots of of the World Trade Center in it. Yeah, I read that apparently like even some channels were like running the Zoolander ad when they had to cut to coverage of of really? the attack. Really. So it's like kind of probably in people's minds. It's just not it's just Yeah, a that bad it's like at least somehow associated with 9/11 which yeah really really unfortunate like yeah i mean it's not like they could have done anything about that like with timing or anything because i'm sure like the movie basically had to go out at that time yeah i don't know like do you delay a movie and i i, I know a lot of people just like went decided to go through with the shit they were going to do because they didn't want it to, to to they didn't want it to have the power that that exactly know. um i mean Obviously, I think that probably worked against Zoolander. Yeah, totally. Because they had the time to uh, digitally edit the movie to remove uh, the World Trade Center. Yeah, yeah, they 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 cropped it out of some of some of the shots, which was, uh, as I understand, like criticized pretty heavily by a few parties. Yeah, and it's like, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know how I would. I don't know how I would if I would do that or not, or, like, whether or not that was... It's hard to say, really. Yeah, I know. It's, like, is it... Because, I mean, the weird thing is, like, do they say when this movie takes place? Would they have to have done it to make it, like, make sense with the dates that they put in the movie? I don't think that would have come into play, to be honest. Well, I mean, I can understand, like, you know, like, Ben Stiller's making this movie, and it's, like, ready to go, Right. And like, and then, you know, nine eleven happens, obviously, and then you're like, holy fuck, what do I do? So like, I kind of find it hard to, to criticize him in this sense because it's like, he really just kind of had to do something. Like, I don't envy his position. He all he said about it was it seemed like the right thing to do, which I think is a, a, yeah, like a fine explanation. I'm sure. Yeah, he had a lot to to think about with that. I, it is worth noting that I um, in the in the later releases of it they did actually undo the edits. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Blu-ray Blu-ray real release yeah. they they put it back in. So I don't know if you want to watch it with World Trade Center, watch the DVD. If you want to watch it without the World Trade Center, watch the Blu-ray. No, the other way around. Sorry. If you want to watch it with the World Trade Center, watch the Blu-ray. Yeah, I also understand that there was a lawsuit involved. Uh, there was, which had nothing to do with 9-11, but... No, 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 sorry. That's a little, yeah, a bit of a yeah. hard <laughs> Sorry, that, that may have given the wrong impression. No, there but... was a lawsuit also uh, affecting this movie. Yeah. So yeah, th this movie had some kind of unfortunate things happen to it that, that prevented it from being, I think, as big of a success as maybe it should have been. Yeah, it definitely wasn't initially a success. Critics didn't really like it. Roger Ebert gave it, like... 
a horrible review. And he said some pretty, especially like, I think about 9-11, he, I think he said, this is like, this is why America hates us or something, or this is why the world hates America rather. Yeah. So it's like pretty harsh. Yeah. According to Ben Stiller, apparently Roger Ebert apologized later on for the review yeah. that he gave. Um, but yeah, it was not reviewed well. Um, it, it, it eventually made profit. I think it ultimately... Yeah, so it made like $60 million off a $28 million budget, right? Yeah, so, you know, it it it, it made its money, um, but it was slow. Yeah, but that, that took some time, and I'm sure a lot of that was us fucking uh, renting it uh, <laughs> when we were younger. Yeah. <laughs> um, if any listeners are familiar with the author Brett Easton Ellis... Um, you may know him as the author he's, of... He's written some, some things that were successful. Most notably, American Psycho. Yeah. Um, Which also got made into a movie. Yeah. Um, um, Brett Easton Ellis um, wrote a book called Glamorama. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, the plot of Glamorama is like male models who are hired or brainwashed into being assassins. And obviously it came out before Zoolander, and uh, Brett Easton Ellis was pissed about it, so he sued Ben Stiller, apparently. Right. And as far as I know, they settled out of court, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we don't actually know. I mean, we assume that Brett Easton Ellis got paid a little bit of hush money yeah, the just last, to fuck off. Basically, the last time it was brought up was some BBC journalist asked him about it, and he was like, I can't talk about it because of a settlement. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give you a little bit of money, and you fuck off and stop claiming that you wrote Zoolander. Yeah. But, like, it's he's not... He didn't write a comedy. It's not like his book was, like, yeah. a comedy. I don't know. It's de- it, and also, like, the thing is, like, did they come out before the sketches? Oh, I don't know. I mean, not that the sketches had anything to do with assassinations. But, um, yeah, Zoolander uh, definitely... It's definitely completely different in tone, like... uh, Although, I suppose they're both satirical, I guess. But, I mean, yeah, they seem pretty different. Yeah, Glamorama came out in 1998. So, it, it was after the... The character of Zoolander, at least, but not the Yeah, but obviously the character was not initially involved in uh, a conspiracy. Yeah. But, I mean, like, okay. I, whatever. I fuck Brett Easton Ellis, honestly. I was reading yeah, about Yeah, he, he doesn't seem like... And he <laughs> yeah, seems Frank like... Yeah, seems like a dickhead. He seems like, yeah, kind of a fucking dickhead, so... Whatever. <laughs> fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> do, we, do we want to get into that, or uh, do we want to just... About uh, him being a, a you dickhead? You can look it up on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can form your own opinions on him. He's just... Seems like a bit of a whiny dickhead. Um, yeah. So, we've talked a little bit about, like, how this movie was, like, received when it was released. All the sort of uh, unfortunate things that happened to it. But, like, how do you think it ages? Because I think there are a lot of things in this movie that aged, like, pretty well and are still very relevant. But then I think there are a lot of things that also didn't. Like, the whole the whole thing about comedy is, like, you're, 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 you find the line... Well, I mean, we were kind of mentioning this earlier, where sometimes it's hard to watch a comedy from the '60s, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you, it doesn't age well often. That's just the yeah. way it goes. Like reference points are change and 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 that sort of thing. Um, so there's definitely a few moments in Zoolander that are like pretty questionable. I think. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and I mean, there's also well, I mean, it's a funny ass movie. Like, I think it's I think it's I think it's a pretty good movie. But um, yeah, yeah, there are definitely I think very specifically a couple scenes which like you know, eh, aren't great. <laughs> um, uh, there's no women in it. Like, yeah, I mean, like pretty much the only character is sorry. There's the one, yeah, yeah, and she's not even a very good character. No, yeah, she uh, she essentially is just she's just like a, a hollow love interest. It's just kind of unfortunate. Like, it seems... well, she also she moves the plot forward. Yeah, she's a plot device, and it seems like a wasted yeah. opportunity to me. Like, they could have had. I mean, the only real characters in this movie are like Hansel and Zoolander. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's where all the comedy is too yeah but that's and that's what i'm saying though it's like i feel like you know it's all men being funny they didn't give a woman a chance yeah. to be funny at any point they, they, they didn't yeah exactly um and you know fucking everybody in it is white as well but i mean that like yeah. these are both issues that it's like not obviously not exclusive to zoolander it's like a, a no yeah i would thing. say so but i mean it's another thing it's it's also is potentially uh, I mean, I don't think it was, but you could say that uh, that they were addressing the fact that there's not a lot of uh, that kind of representation in the male modeling industry. I suppose, which is true. It is true, but I don't. I don't know that that was their intention. <laughs> I I don't think that they were it, it attuned to that. Yeah, and I think with the kind of like vague misogyny that like appears a lot there's like that one scene where like maury balstein like uh grabs his employee's ass you know just like that's sort of thing where, like where that's an acceptable um mm-hmm. like visual joke to have in a movie in 2001 where it's like not really so much anymore but i mean also i think in the movie is one of the things is like it, it gets into the uh the issues of being satire exactly like obviously the movie's making fun of that to an extent yeah exactly because the like the character that maury ballstein maury ball is supposed to be misogynistic yeah he's supposed to be like this grimy kind of guy but like yeah i feel like they in in a lot of ways and it comes up with when we'll talk about like the kind of the how they go about the child labor um and like malaysia it's like they just don't they're not endorsing child labor but they're also not like really treating it uh tactfully exactly and it's the same thing with like like with with that scene where he like grabs her ass it's like it's not it's not it's it's not a joke uh fuck what am i trying to say here it's like it's it's they're laughing at the fact that it happens but they're not saying anything else yeah you know it's like yeah and they're making it they're making it a joke yeah, well, I would say that there's a particular scene that, uh, if we're talking about misogyny, that might be a lot worse. Yeah, so, um, Hansel might be a rapist. Yeah, there's kind of some, uh, date rapey, coercive yeah. vibes in that scene. Yeah, so, essentially, uh, Hansel, while they're all hanging out at Hansel's, uh, place... Uh, he gives them all this tea that's drugged with, I think, peyote. I'm not actually sure. That's Um, the implication, I think. Yeah, and then they all drink it, and then he basically coerces uh, uh, Matilda, who is a reporter character. Sorry? Christine Taylor's character, yeah. Christine Taylor's character, to 
engage in an orgy with them. Yeah, she and she's like she uh, it doesn't seem into it at first. No. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, that's definitely hugely questionable. Yeah, like that would not fly in any uh, in media anymore. Like that's not not Yeah, an I, I don't think you could put point. that in a movie today. Um or I hope you couldn't. I mean, it, it addresses the same kind of thing where it's like this is the kind of thing that you can use as a, a comedic device, you know? It just wasn't yeah. quite serious enough of an issue at the time. Or at least it wasn't it wasn't recognized that way. Yeah. So, yeah. again, like, I don't know. I, I don't think we've come to any kind of definitive conclusion when talking about, like, you know, satire and, like, how do you judge it? And especially how do you judge it retrospectively? Yeah, because obviously you need to... You need to think about that when you're watching the movie, because, I mean, a lot of old movies from the 60s, for example, like, have some stuff in that which we might find despicable. But yeah. it's, like, the question is, like, can you get past that when you're watching the movie? I, I think you can, like, but you you obviously, you can't condone what's in the movie. It, things need to be, like, viewed with the correct context. Exactly, and I think you have to be careful when celebrating films that, uh, have some overt issues. Yeah, I mean, I would say, like, an example of that is one of my favorite movies is, is Lawrence of Arabia, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, Lawrence of Arabia is a really, really great movie, but, you know, they have brownface in it, which is not okay. Exactly. And they shouldn't have done that. No, exactly. Like, yeah. it was the 60s, it was accepted at the time, I guess. Oh, speaking of uh, blackface... Um, yeah, there's there kind of some in this movie. It's that scene where they're like uh, uh, um, disguised, um, disguising themselves so they can sneak into Maury Ballstein's office to get his computer. There's implied blackface. Yeah. Um, well, so so what they kind of do is uh, this actually comes up right after the previous scene too with the yeah. Uh, with the it's orgy. like it's a rough period in the film. It's it's a rough section. <laughs> But basically, they're trying to sneak into Boring Malstein's office, and they're like, "Oh, we need a disguise." So Derek Zoolander asks for the uh, the make his make uh, Hansel's makeup kit, and so then the, it it cuts to uh, them walking. Well, not them. No. Two actors. Um, two genuinely non-white actors. Yeah, two genuinely non-white <laughs> actors uh, walking into Ballstein's office. And the voiced by yeah. Ben Stiller and um, and Owen Wilson. Yeah. So yeah, the which is actually almost really funny. It is like it is a really funny bit. Yeah. <laughs> it, but then they have the scene after that, which is where it loses me. Yeah, and which is where they kind of show where they when they actually get into his office, they they take the makeup off, and you can kind of see a smidge of it on there. Yeah, like, I think they played the, like, we have to, like, maybe they thought it wasn't obvious enough that they were just wearing makeup. I don't know, but they decided yeah. to, like, they had remnants of the blackface, which I think was just, like, not the right call. Um, yeah, it exactly. Have been, I think it would have been an acceptable bit if they had just... But mind you, the rest of that scene is hilarious. Yeah, the rest <laughs> of that scene is hilarious. <laughs> the, um... The uh, uh, the computer scene where they're trying to get into the files. <laughs> it's in the scene. computer. And there's that that kind of weird 2001 reference where like the film just kind of like changes, like this movie made in 2001. 
Oh wow! Did you think is that why? No, it's not. But the 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 entire thing is like they're idiots and they're behaving like baboons yeah, or yeah. Uh, not baboons, apes. Apes. Uh, so yeah, and I, I just think that that really captures that. That also captures the way the movie is aged in a different way. How do you mean? Well, the bright, the bright orange Macintosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The technology. Like, because it's hard to remember how long two thousand one was ago. Yeah, well, the the technology is is like really jarring. Is you've got that like bright orange uh, plasticky Mac, and he's yeah, got his it's tiny, a very weird time. He's got his tiny Nokia phone, flip phone. Yeah, yeah, and and actually that Nokia phone bit is actually I think still relevant today. Yeah. Do we know that it's a Nokia? Or... Yeah, yeah, it's Nokia for sure. Okay, is it because no- of the ringtone? Yeah, it's because of the ringtone, and it does say Does it Nokia. do the classic, the the classic Samba, ringtone? The classic Nokia Samba, as it's known, I believe. Oh, um, uh, I wish I had that on the Samba where we could play it. In post. We'll add it in post. Oh, okay. You'll put it in. We'll add it in post so you can hear. Again, all of it is so we keep coming back to the same point about satire, but but there you know you got to talk about kind of the problematic shit and and some of it was the kind of how they talked about the child labor and just Malaysia in general. They're definitely not endorsing child labor. It's definitely anti-child labor, no, but course. also they don't do enough, I think, to actually like they include it without really giving it context exactly yeah it's like it's just kind of like it's used as a plot device like it's not um it's not a gotcha they don't use it as like a like it's not a device to actually illuminate the that that it is an issue it's just kind of like yeah loose although it would be i think pretty easy for them to have done that it would have been yeah and the thing is like even how like in if you like look at how they treated the film afterwards like when you when they were promoting Zoolander two, and you have like Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson appearing in character at like the Fashion Awards, it's kind of like yeah. it shows this is kind of like you're making fun of this industry for being so evil, but then you're palling it up with the industry at the same time. It's kind of just this yeah, like, eh, and it's never really it's odd addressed that it's like. Eh, it's not clear that it's a real thing that happens, you know? It's almost like they're yeah. just kind of using it as like a, oh, haha, sweatshops. But, like, you don't really yeah, have exactly. to worry about that. But it's like sweatshops, that's a real child labor in the fashion industry. Is... It's a real thing, and the fashion industry does actually profit off of it. So that's not great. And then also I was initially, um, like, the portrayal of, of, like, the Malaysian prime minister was like oh, a yeah. bit questionable because they have like him dressed like the Dalai Lama for some reason which is like he just yeah very strange he just wears a suit in real life um yeah uh, it's not like so you you think that this was based on a particular guy right no no I don't I think it was it wasn't supposed to be the guy or anything like the actual prime minister but um but when we looked into the actual prime minister I think my opinion uh changed a little bit oh yeah so, Do you care to elaborate? Yeah, we looked into um, the prime minister of Malaysia at the time, and uh, he was a self-proclaimed anti-Semite. Still is. He's yeah, a- raging anti-Semite. Probably hates Ben Stiller and this entire movie. Yeah, so he can go fuck himself. And Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I, that, I, I'm... I mean, not, not that that necessarily takes away from the fact that, you know, 
I don't know if this film does its research on Malaysia. No, and a satire. Who knows? Did they have to? Did they? I don't think it's the kind of thing that would be acceptable anymore, which is what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so. especially him wearing like the Dalai Lama. Yeah, suit. that's that's almost, honestly that's the worst part for me. It's just kind of yeah. like uh, vaguely Eastern. Like, let's make him look like a yeah. monk because he's you know from Malaysia. Yeah. But you know, oh, and he's a—he was reelected last year in 2019. He's yeah, the current, still the prime minister he's the of Malaysia, right? Prime minister of Malaysia. What's his name? It's um, yeah. uh, Matahir Mohammed. Matahir Mohammed. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is a political episode. <laughs> yeah, this got really, really political. We started with Trump, and then we got into Jimmy Carter, <laughs> my favorite president. <laughs> <laughs> um and now yeah now we're talking about uh... um but you know now that we've covered all the problematic things we can probably move on to some more lighthearted topics i think this this aged so quickly that by the time the film came out i think nobody knew what they were talking about what do you mean so there's a scene uh after hansel smashes right. the computer yes Maury Ballstein uh, basically comes up and he says, I got two words for you, sugar. Zip this. <laughs> uh, so, zip I mean, I, I'm, I'm not confident that, that most people who've seen this movie know what a zip disc is. No, I did not know what a zip disc was at all. Um, I, 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 so I just think we should probably explain that for a second. Oh, yeah, no, it's, so if it's anybody integral. Saw this movie, it's integral that we explain what a zip disc is. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah so like i think zip discs were pretty much almost obsolete by the time this movie came out which which i find funny but so essentially what a zip disc is and why it makes sense that 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 maury ballstein has one is that it's a uh it's essentially a super high density floppy disk just just like a bigger floppy disk like a, a more yeah space? so it's about the same like size but it's thicker so how much, what kind of storage space are we looking at? So I, I have a, a zip disk right in front of me, and this is a, a 100 megabyte zip disk. 100 megabyte. And how big is your average floppy disk? Well, so um, they had two main kinds of three and a half inch floppy disks. They had uh, um, 720 kilobyte disks. Okay. And 1.44 megabyte disks okay, as well. Okay, so this is a lot bigger than... So 100 megabytes is a huge amount yeah, compared to that. Yeah, huge increase. Massive. So um, uh, I thought I might just uh, let you guys Oh, hear yes, you have the a zip disk. Uh, a zip disk. I have, have a zip a disk drive. drive here. Yeah. I have a few of them. I actually use them semi-regularly for reasons which we won't get into on this podcast. Um... But so I'm going to go ahead and insert a zip disk uh, for you so you can hear what that sounds like. I can't like. wait. Okay, so there we are. Uh, you can hear you the, can probably hear that. Yeah, you can hear that. It actually horror. did show off my computer. Uh, so this actually, it did not require any additional drivers. This, this zip disk actually worked with Windows 10 immediately. <laughs> That's bizarre. Strangely enough. That's somewhat impressive. So anyway, here we are. I'm reading all the incriminating files about the fashion industry uh, on my zip disk. And I'm going to go ahead. Uh, I've, I've read all, all that. And I'm going to go eject my zip disk. So that's what the, this sounds like. 
<laughs> and there we go. Uh, on some of my other other drives, they actually have a quite a dramatic eject mechanism where they shoot the disc almost halfway across the room. But uh, yeah, there you go, folks. Uh, so I know you didn't ask for that either. <laughs> there you go. But we're also going to give you something else you didn't ask for. Oh, really? What's that? A segment, uh, perhaps? Sorry, there's a segment. I think that I don't think anybody asked oh, for it. Oh, nobody asked for it, no. I bet you Ben Stiller asked for it. Ben Stiller, I would love it. Welcome to a special edition of the segment that uh, nobody asked for or wanted. Uh, but you're getting is... it anyway. Yeah, you're getting it anyway. This is the Six Degrees of Star Trek, where we connect uh, people in this movie to some uh, thing in the Star Trek universe. During uh, Ben Stiller's childhood, he spent a lot of time doing something. And that thing was watching fucking Star Trek. <laughs> because Ben Stiller is a Trekkie. He's a Trekkie, all right. He loves He's Star Trek. He's a Trekkie Trek. and a half. Where was that? So this has made it into Ben Stiller's films in one way or another. And uh, the most obvious thing in this in this film would be the name of the uh, one of the major uh, characters. The name of the villain, perhaps? Yes. Jacobi Mugatu. <laughs> Is named after a monster from Star Trek. The Mugatu. <laughs> the Mugatu. So, um, oh, geez, what was the episode? Uh, in this episode, the Mugatu is essentially like an abominable snowman uh, type uh, character <laughs> who, uh, who looks really. Okay, the episode is called uh, A Private Little War from uh, season two of the original series, uh, episode 19. Um, so basically, the Mugatu is this big, like, hairy, white monster that actually doesn't look too dissimilar from M- Mugatu as played by Will Ferrell. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah there it is. <laughs> yeah, you see it. You see, he looks like he looks a little yeah, bit like it Will looks Ferrell. vaguely like him. I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> so this is not not the only um, the only thing that uh, has appeared. So so. Uh, Ben Stiller's a big fan of Star Trek, but he's specifically a big fan of Star Trek, the original series. Yeah, he, he like, collects memorabilia. He, like, he, uh, at the 30th uh, anniversary of Star Trek's airing, he, like, gave the the opening speech, didn't he? He did, yeah. Um, and he talks about his love of Star yeah, Trek. <laughs> and he says, he says that they didn't ask him to do it. He begged no, yeah, he asked to, to show that He has to be there. <laughs> Yeah, he what he he uh, he owns uh, the Gorn head, doesn't he? He owns the Gorn head. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm about to actually get to this, but oh, in sorry. the movie Tropic Thunder, oh yeah, the Gorn head can be seen. The Gorn head is in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, I think it's in Matthew McConaughey's office. Oh, that's amazing. As well as the Spock ears. <laughs> so yeah, so um, as far as I know, um, Ben Stiller owns not only the Gorn head, which. Anyway, the Gorn is this famous uh, green lizard monster from uh, the episode Arena. I feel of like this, Star Trek, this, the original series. this whole segment is so far down the um, the rabbit hole that we don't need to explain the details of 
what the Gorn is. Anyway, so the Gorn is a big green litter monster, okay? So <laughs> that's all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. And he owns the prop, the original prop from the series yeah. uh, of that head. Um, he also owns not one, but two pairs of Spock ears. Genuine Spock ears? Genuine Spock ears wow. from the series. And one pair that were, were uh, given as a gift to him from Leonard Nimoy. Wow. 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 As far as, like, more connections to Star Trek, he's been interviewed by Shatner uh, in a, uh, a documentary that Shatner did called The Truth is in the Stars. Oh, yeah. I actually I actually planned to, to watch that uh, movie in preparation for this, but uh, Amazon wouldn't let me watch it. Uh, so, the bastards. Screw them. Jeff yeah, fucking Bezos. bastards. <laughs> Uh, but it probably would have been worth it just for the uh, the, the small uh, segment <laughs> in which he interviews uh, Ben Stiller. Because as far as I know, it's it's not that great of a documentary. Shatner's done a ton <laughs> yeah, of documentaries. I haven't heard of it. it. My favorite one being uh, Panic on the Bridge. I haven't heard of that one watch. either. No. If you're, you haven't seen that one? No, I don't think so. It's great because it's Shatner doing a documentary about Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, you learn a lot of interesting stuff about Star Trek The Next Generation, but we're getting Star Trek because that doesn't really have that much to do with Zoolander. No, or Ben Stiller. <laughs> and yeah, so there are also some other people who who are in this movie that were in Star Trek. Yeah, two people in this movie that traced to Star Trek through the same connection. So we got uh, Billy Zane... So Billy Zane's not in Star Trek. But you know what he was in? What was he in? He was in Twin Peaks. All right. So he was. So he was. And David Duchovny was also in Twin Peaks. So this is how we have so two. So he was. Yeah. So we have these two actors, David Duchovny and Billy Zane, who are both in Twin Peaks. And Twin Peaks, one of the major characters, uh, is, is played by Ray Wise, who's also been in some great fucking movies like Robocop. So, Ray Wise has been in not only a 1989 episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, but also a 1998 episode of Star Trek Voyager. What? Yeah, so he was in Who Watches the Watchers in TNG, uh-huh. and he was in the episode Hope and Fear in Star Trek Voyager. Hope and Fear. Shut up! Enough already, Ballstein! Who cares about Derek Zoolander anyway? The man has only one look, for Christ's sake! Blue Steel? Ferrari, La Tigra, they're the same face! Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! I don't know, you want to do worst accent? <laughs> yeah, let's do worst accent. Alright, worst accent. Don't point that thing at me! <laughs> Alright, now today we have an interesting worst accent. Yeah, this is this is a, uh, this is an interesting one. Um, it goes against... What you would expect, I think. Yeah, so... Oh, God, I, 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 the character's name is very hard to uh, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I, couldn't even, I couldn't even attempt it. Uh, let's just call her Katinka. Katinka. Short for yeah. something. So, so the... the um, let's not do the last name, because I think it was intentionally added to be right. obtuse. But so, uh, Mila Jovovich gets the, uh, the award for worst accent uh, this, this episode. 
so she appears as the character Katenko, which is a sidekick, I suppose, of uh, Mugatu. Yeah. And um, she, I guess she plays like this Eastern European like yeah. uh, woman who uh, who always is making fun of uh, of Matilda's uh, outfit. Basically, yeah. She is... And she does like this... this really bad like this exaggerated eastern european accent accent. yeah what kind of spa is this it's designed for deep deep relaxation come let's get you loosened up but the funny thing is that mila jovovich is actually from eastern europe and grew up in ukraine in the ukraine and had i assume an accent at some point i think that people around her would have had an accent at some point but yeah uh so um, I'm sorry, Mila. We love you. We love Resident <laughs> Evil. At least I do. Um, but uh, yeah, you get the award this this time. Um, so let's let's give our uh, our final thoughts and ratings on on this film. Do you want to start us off? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I thought this was a good movie. I thought it was hilarious. I'd watch it again. Uh, I mean, obviously there were some things in it that don't age super well, but generally, I think it's a pretty good movie. I, I agree with you. I don't really have anything else to add. It was, it, 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 I was laughing, you know, a lot of the time. I don't always laugh when I'm watching a comedy movie by myself or watching something funny by myself. I don't laugh out loud necessarily all the time, but, uh, you know, there was a few moments where it definitely got me. Um, it's problematic as we were, we, we spent a good amount of time. Yeah, there are some problematic about scenes. The problematic right. issues. Um, I think, a lot of those problematic issues were are not exclusive to Zoolander. They're kind of more problematic issues with the no. film industry and with the specific subgenre of comedy films. Um, I think it's an issue more a broad issue in the industry as opposed to just an issue with this film. Um, yeah, definitely. But, I mean, and, and hopefully our, our attitudes towards that are changing. slowly. I think we're we're trying to chip away at it um but a lot of a lot yeah. of progress to go to a lot of a lot of way long way to go yeah um, definitely but yeah that being said it was funny and i uh i liked i enjoyed my time watching it so i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give yeah. it i mean definitely and you know what? something keaton moisture is the <laughs> essence of wetness and wetness is the essence of beauty <laughs> <laughs> merman it's merman. a merman <laughs> oh yeah we missed john voight's cameo oh god yeah and the um, hair is hilarious oh that's just good it's a funny movie you should watch it um there's a lot of really great shit in this yeah movie. it's worth yeah. a watch i think that's what it comes down to is it's 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 problematic at times but definitely yeah. worth uh worth a rewatch uh, so yeah, and if you don't like that, you can dare lick my balls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for listening. We will come at you later. Peace out. Orange mocha frappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello, listeners. <laughs> Do you guys know we're on? Uh places that you can follow us yes social media almost all of them you can find us on instagram at crane kick commentaries uh we are on twitter at kick underscore crane 
and you know and you can find us on YouTube just by searching Korean Kick Commentaries or Facebook just by searching Korean Kick Commentaries um, we also have a website www.cranekickcommentaries.wordpress.com we are also on several platforms such as Google Podcasts Stitcher Apple Podcasts Podbean many others wherever you get your podcasts except Spotify but we're working on it you know you won't find us on MySpace not yet that is not yet I don't know does MySpace still exist I think you can make a MySpace account alright yeah find us on AOL <laughs> and uh, and Usenet what's your uh, what's your MSN messenger tag yeah what's my MSN messenger a <laughs> <laughs> That one was gold. Let's use that one. <laughs>